Welcome to episode five of season 14 of the Growing Empire show. Today I'm here with my special guest, Bill Himmelrich from Stewart Title, and we're going to discuss fraud in the real estate and title business. So stay tuned. Welcome to Growing Empires, hosted by real estate entrepreneur and trusted investment advisor, Jennifer DeJesus. Growing Empires provides insight to building wealth through passive income-producing real estate investments for those who want to build and manage a more profitable real estate portfolio. So welcome, Bill, to the Growing Empires show. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's kick off this episode with you sharing a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing now with Stuart. Sure. Uh, My name is Bill Himmelrich. I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to college at Gettysburg. Uh, law school at Widener. I was in private practice for a few years, and I've been in the title business for 40 years, uh, 28 of them with Stewart. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a very long time. So what do you actually do for Stewart? Well, I wear a lot of hats. I, I still do a fair amount of underwriting, uh, but I oversee the agency division for Pennsylvania and Delaware. Uh, my job is to try to develop uh, and grow the agency base for Stewart. So uh, task one is to find quality agents who uh, want to write for Stewart. And then my next goal is to try to get them to give a certain wallet share, highest the better, uh, to Stewart, because there are other choices with underwriters. Okay. And just to give a little bit of background for our listeners on who Stewart is in the whole title game, right? Stewart is the underwriter. So Give a brief explanation of how that plays a part in a transaction. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Stewart. Uh, They've been around for 130 years, developed from a small company in uh, Houston, Texas, and now does business all across the country uh, and and the world, actually. We're, uh, We're trying to develop title insurance in third world countries that never had an idea what title insurance was. Uh, Stewart is probably the uh, fourth largest title company and probably a national market share in the range of about 10%. So um, Stewart is uh, the underwriter. The best comparison I can make is if you go to buy uh, auto insurance, you can get it from State Farm, you can get it from Allstate. Uh, they, that would be the underwriter. So if you, if you purchased a policy, it would be on one of those companies, but you would go to your local agent to place the insurance. And it's just like a steel abstract. Um, they're the agent and the policy is ultimately written on Stewart or another underwriter. The underwriter takes the risk of, of loss. Okay, great. So today we're actually going to talk about a lot of risk because we're going to talk about a very hot topic in real estate, which is fraud. And it's both it's both in the real estate industry, but also in title work. And I've asked Bill to join me to share his wealth of knowledge he's gained throughout his years in the title insurance business as we talk about fraud. So let's talk a little bit about what title insurance is and why do you need it as an investor? Okay. Well, the most important aspect of title insurance is that if there is a claim and you get sued, the legal fees are covered by the title insurance policy. So um, you realize that 
you retain a lawyer at, at X number of dollars an hour, uh, it's not going to take long before that that has some significant financial impact. So that probably is the main thing or main benefit that you will have a lawyer defend you if you are sued. Uh, and and people talk about, you know, are there really claims in title insurance? And the answer is yes. And the biggest issue uh, today, uh, as you said, Jenna, is really involving fraud. That is the biggest concern um, for uh, from the underwriter standpoint, the agent standpoint, and for the consumer. Fraud is a major, major problem. Okay. So what does title insurance actually cover and not cover? Well, uh, when, when you uh, buy a home, uh, one of the conditions in a title insurance policy is that you have good and marketable title. That's the most important thing so that when you buy a home, the person who is selling the home does own it and has the ability to sell it to you. And that when you buy the home, uh, that you own it uh, free and clear of any liens. It it it, it does not necessarily cover um, the legal description, but it does make sure that you're going to buy the home and that you're going to own it free and clear. And from a lender standpoint, they're going to lend money to the buyer. Um, the lender wants to know that their mortgage, their lien, is going to be in a first lien position that the lender has to know that there's not a judgment or another mortgage ahead of them in case there ever is a foreclosure. Okay. And title insurance is for the life of your ownership, right? That is correct. And if you own the house for your entire life, uh, you only have to pay for it once. One time. Right. One time and that's it. What are some of the things it does not cover? I mean, it's definitely not like homeowner's insurance policy and the fact that, you know, there's fire and it doesn't cover anything like that. So what is it actually not? We talked about it covering, you know, the life of the ownership. It's covering um, making sure that you are buying a property free and clear. Are there some really specific exemptions to the policies? Um, you know, our title insurance is different than any other kind of insurance because title insurance goes back in time. So if you buy health or fire or auto, um, your premium is based on the chances of something happening in the future that would cause a, a claim. Uh, no different than life insurance. When you buy life insurance, if you're healthy and 40 years old, the life insurance is much less than someone who is not in good health and in their 60s. The, the insurance companies have a program to figure out what are the chances of having to pay a claim. Title insurance goes back in time to make sure there are no liens against uh, the real estate. So as again, as it, when you buy it, you buy it free and clear, um, and the lender is in a first lien position. So we, as a title insurance industry, we ensure up until the time the deed is recorded and the mortgage is recorded. So we're insuring everything in the past. That's what's different about title insurance. Okay. So you had mentioned that there are claims and that fraud is a big part of this industry. So are there claims in this type of insurance that are, and how similar are they to like a claim that you'd have on your auto policy or your homeowner's policy? Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about fraud because it, it is the biggest source of, of losses. 
And fraud comes in a lot of um, wearing a lot of different hats. One of the major issues that we're having are hackers getting in to the title insurance system and trying to, to divert funds to the bad guys. So the first thing is a consumer. A consumer is going to come to closing and going to need to bring $20,000 to close the transaction. Well, the bad guys hack into the system. They can determine um, who the buyer is, and they will then contact the buyer, unbeknownst to the buyer, um, wearing the mask of the title insurance company and saying, oh, this is where you're to send your $20,000 deposit, um, and it's not the bank account of the title insurance company. It's the fraudster's bank account somewhere else. Money gets forwarded. A buyer comes to closing. All of a sudden, they realize that the money is gone. Uh, that is that is problem one, number one for the consumer. The second issue that uh, all of us in the title insurance side deal with, both as an underwriter and mainly the agents, the agents have a, a considerable amount of money that's run through their what they call a settlement trust account, escrow account. And the bad guys are always trying to get in and and hack into the system and, and divert funds away. So one of the ways of doing that is that the, the, the fraudster will act as if they are the mortgage company that's being paid off. So they'll write the, the email to the title agent and say, hi, I'm ABC Bank. I understand you're going to pay off a $147,000 mortgage. Uh, here's all the information. Um, send the money. This is our wiring instruction. Send the money to this account. And it's the fraudster's account and not the mortgage company. So we, th this is a issue that we deal with every day to verify that the money is going to the right place. So one thing that we will always tell the consumer, um, and we can't stress it enough, that when your title agent gives you wiring instructions, that those wiring instructions are not going to change. So if you get another email that says, this is the new wiring instruction, the consumer has to contact the title agent to verify that the uh, the wiring instructions are the same. So, I mean, this is these are the biggest areas where a fraud has hit. Now, we can, if you want to, we can talk about some other crazier fraud stories, but I'll, I'll let you leave with the question. We're going to get into a lot of fraud stories because there's a lot, but actually I personally have uh, an experience with one that you just mentioned, and it was a very long time ago. So, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that fraud didn't just happen last night, right? I know we're hearing about a lot of things going on in the world with, you know, the interest rate hikes and we're hearing about banks closing, but fraud is not something that happened last night in the real estate industry or the title industry. As a matter of fact, it's been decades of things that have happened that have led us to where we are today. Um, I mean, but it's actually become worse because um, technology yes. is, is becoming more sophisticated. And the bad guys are really good at what they do. They're very and, good. And that's their full-time job. Yeah. 24-7. Yep. How can I get into either the title agent's uh, bank account and, and act as if, if I'm the innocent, innocent party here? Um, and if you could see some of these 
emails, uh, I would challenge anyone to see where the change was made. And yeah. there's very, very subtle differences that you can make in a, a email that the, uh, the human eye can't see. Yeah. Uh, a, kind of a, 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 an example, if you put an R next to an N and you change the uh, email address from the R and the N to an M, they look exactly the same. But the difference between an R and an N and an M is the difference of where the money goes to the fraudster or to the right spot. Very, very subtle changes uh, allows the fraud, fraudster to, to tap into an account. And again, they are very, very good. Now, one of the ways the, the fraudsters get in is that the firewalls at some point in the chain of, of emails is not protected. So once the fraudster gets into the system, They'll see everybody's email, email address. They'll have the entire transaction in front of them. Their goal is to figure out how they can make these very, very subtle changes to divert the funds. So you're only as protected as much as the weakest link in the, in the chain. Some folks don't have that protection. It exposes the entire transaction. The episode will continue in just a moment. As an investor, we know it's important to stay on top of market trends and real estate opportunities that add value to your portfolio. We also know that having a trusted source of reliable information to help you stay a step ahead of other investors is critical to your success. If you're interested in having these types of resources, as well as access to me and my team, I invite you to join the Empire Investment Club, a free service that gives you an easier way to make sense of today's and tomorrow's real estate opportunities. As a member of the Empire Investment Club, you'll get access to relevant resources and investment-focused experiences such as live interactive webinars, market trend presentations, and investor socials designed to equip you with what you need to succeed. So whether you're an active investor, passive investor, a combination of both, or just starting out, the club is where you'll get what you need to build a portfolio you love. To join, just head over to jenniferdehesus.com, sign up, and we'll see you in the club where everyone's on a journey to becoming a better investor. So one of the experiences that I've had, and I've, I've definitely come across quite a few in the years that I've been doing this, but I had one where, you know, I want to use the word hack, right, very loosely, because yeah. they fair. don't always hack, right? They duplicate, they mimic, they pretend, right? They are somebody that they're not, but they don't actually hack in, like, if you think of like a computer hacker, right, everything goes defunct right you've got to go back in change your passwords that's the last thing that they actually want you to do is go in and change your passwords but they're really good at mimicking and duplicating people and their actions right so the one that happened to me was again going to a closing exactly as you were saying um they found a way to intercept kind of a chain of emails right going back and forth between the title company the clients and myself about getting ready for closing And they had sent an email that made it look like it was coming from me to my client with another set of wire instructions. Now, my clients were smart enough to know that we just had these conversations via phone. So this email looked super suspicious. So, of of course, they called me and they said, hey, we just got an email from you. And I was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No, you did not. We just talked about this on the phone. (laughs) 
And sure enough, it was it was the slightest change. And it even took me a while to figure out what had happened. But they changed, as you mentioned, one letter in my email to make it look like it was coming from me. But it was one letter off, just one letter. And it appeared like it was coming from me. It appeared like it was had to do with the transaction. And, you know, good thing they called because that was a perfect example of, you know, the system wasn't hacked. It was duplicated, mm, right? That's correct. And, you know, had we not already taken the measures to prevent fraud, this particular client could have been very susceptible to that fraud, right? Mm -hmm. And they could have very easily wired, you know, a sizable amount of money. And these, you know, they're not always targeting the $20,000 transactions. They're targeting the $100,000 transactions or, you know, they they target all types of things. So, you know, in any case, any loss to any client who thinks that they're sending a wire to a, to the closing company, the title company for closing, finds out that their money is now gone and everything that they had saved for is out the door. That's devastating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't get you're correct. They don't they don't want to draw attention to themselves. They don't. Now, uh, you see sometimes on the news where a, a bank or a large organization gets hacked and they demand a ransom, ransom yeah. to to, uh, to release it. Um, a business would make a decision. It may be cheaper to pay the ransom than be out of business for a week or whatever uh, finances they lose, pay the ransom. Um, I mean, very, very sophisticated banks and medical systems and, and schools have been hacked. But in our business, it, it, the, the bad guys would rather go through the transaction with ever being seen, money gets sent, money is gone within two minutes once it hits that account. So that's what they would prefer. And, and they are very good at what they do. It's a full-time job. So you, know, you mentioned about the history of fraud. Fraud has been around for a long time, but um, the, the, the technology has gotten so much better. I, um, I've told this story uh, quite a bit. The movie Catch, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. And um, that's a true story. And they may have exaggerated a little bit for the, for the movie, but a guy named Frank Abagnale was the, the, and he was only 16 or 17 at the time, um, figured out all these ways of, of defrauding uh, the, the government. And uh, he ultimately worked for the government in exchange for uh, doing some time in prison. But many things, uh, so that goes back 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Sure. And a lot of the things that Frank Abagnale came up with taught the government how to prevent the future and it affects us today. Uh, if you look at your checkbook, if you look at the do dollar bills, all these things that he figured out how to, to uh, convert money to himself, they're still in effect today. So the ways of doing it from 50, 60 years ago are different. Ultimately, somebody's trying to steal money. Uh, and the old days of, of doing it in a bank with a gun, uh, it's a lot easier just to do it with technology and wire the money rather than trying to hold up a bank. But ultimately, the fraud is still being around today. Just different. Sure. So besides like e email interception and and sending wire instructions, I mean, I, you know, title companies, I assume, have to worry about all kinds of things like, you know, any kind of internet based, you know, so wire fraud, um, identity fraud. You know, I'm sure you've got stories about all different types of things that that you could share. 
Yeah, I, I, I have a, I do an hour presentation around the state where basically I, I let people know that these are true stories about how people have been ripped off and, and funds are stolen. And I'm not teaching people how to steal. Right. I'm teaching people how to be aware that these things go on. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Sure. Um, husband and wife are not getting along very well. Mm -hmm. And um, husband wants to sell the property. Wife does not want to sell the property. Uh, wife is in Florida taking care of her sickly mother. Um, just so happens that husband has a girlfriend and the girlfriend just happens to look like the wife comes to closing with all the, um, ID, a title person can look real quickly and say, Oh, that's her mm -hmm. sign the documents. They take the proceeds house is sold. Wife comes back. House isn't there. Well, the house is there, but somebody else is living in it. Now, ultimately, we as a title industry protect against that. You're protecting against that the person who is selling you the property actually is the person. In this situation, uh, it was someone else. So we always stress um, that the importance of having ID, and you can't have an ID from the casino. It has to be right. a government <laughs> issue. Sure. Um, and, it, and we've had people say, well, I don't drive. Well, you can go to the motor vehicles and they will give you a non-driving ID. Sure. And uh, so it's just something that the consumer should plan ahead that you can't come in with your casino ID or your work ID. Um, it needs to be government issued. Uh, so we stress as an industry that we're, <coughs> we should be looking at these IDs. We have situations where uh, the property is owned by um, a William Smith. And uh, William Smith may have bought the house in the 80s, let's say. Well, um, William Smith and his son are not getting along. And the son's name is William Smith. So Junior comes along and says, uh, Dad, I, you know, I don't like that. I'm, I'm angry with him. I'm going to sell this property and I'm going to pretend that, it's, that, that I'm him. So it comes to closing. He's got the ID. Well, William Smith Jr. happens to be 35 years old and they've owned the house for 38 years. I don't think he was planning <laughs> to buy the property before he was born. Yeah. So we run into problems with senior and junior when they have the same name and they have a lot of the ID. You just never know what's going on uh, in, in a family. Um, we've had claims involving uh, powers of attorney. So um, the parents are uh, elderly and um, children go to the parents and say, give me a power of attorney in case you get sick. Well, that power of attorney gives the child, who is now the, the attorney back, the ability to sell that property. Uh, so whenever uh, I get a call from an underwriting risk standpoint, I have a power of attorney. I always say, why can't the parents sign the deed. Well, um, they're in a nursing home. Okay. When did they sign the power of attorney? Yesterday. So we have to look at every time a power of attorney is used. Was it, was it issued under duress? Uh, was it uh, issued fraudulently? Um, and is it legitimate that 
the parents wanted the kids to do it. Um, families that get along forever, all of a sudden when money comes into play, um, and especially if the children are struggling financially, uh, they'll, they'll do, they'll do desperate things because a phrase I always use is desperate people will do desperate things. And I have seen powers of attorney used uh, improperly when uh, I, we understand the person, they're, they're there. Yes. If the parents get sick in the future, they can sign for them, but you always have to think of the, the fraud side of it also. I hope you enjoyed the first part of my discussion with Bill from Stewart Title regarding fraud in real estate and title transactions. Please make sure you stay tuned to our next episode where Bill and I continue our discussion. And until next time, take care. For more information about how Jennifer can help you plan, develop, and manage a strong real estate investment portfolio, visit growingempires.com.